0: Hey guys, you like science, you like learning. We can't cover everything on this podcast, certainly not as in-depth as I'd like to all of the time. Well, here's an important topic you need to know about. Water. Do you have it? Are you drinking it? Where is it coming from? All sorts of important questions you need to know. There is now the new Waterline line. Podcast, which is an initiative of the israel new tech a part of the israeli ministry of economy and industry waterline podcast aims to bring the latest scientific advances and technological solutions while exploring economic models and identifying key players in the global effort to secure water sources create efficient water usage and make water safe for everyone i just checked out a really cool interesting episode called want not waste not what wastewater it's all about what happens to your wastewater it's going to waste a lot of times but does it need to absolutely not what happens to all that discarded wastewater once treated it has uh, economic and ecological value that can even drive nation's economies it could even light up your house How? Find out on that episode of the Waterline Podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android Podcast app. Welcome to Season 3 of the Here We Are Podcast. Guys, it's been two years. It's been so wonderful. Um, I'm such a better host now than I used to be. Uh, we're all so much more well-informed and um, open-minded than we were in the beginning. We've all learned so much. It's been quite an adventure, and I'm very thankful. It's Thanksgiving week, and I'm thankful. I want to show gratitude. I'm I'm not a big uh, tradition or routine. I am pro-holiday, but I, I don't like often there's religion tied in with things, and and uh, and and the thanks to the pilgrims and all that uh, people's weird ideas of how history went down um, doesn't interest me in the slightest. But any any excuse to um, show gratitude and thankfulness is a good one. And I am very thankful for you guys, guys. I have some exciting information to share with you. I looked at the statistics for this podcast last week, and I hadn't looked at them since I started my, um, since about August, I think. I just don't, I don't look at them um, that often, and I just kind of do my thing and check in once in a, a while. I don't like to obsess over things like that, but I did my my big kind of promotional run before the, um, a good trip tour, the 80 city tour that I'm on. I did a promotional run before that and did a bunch of big podcasts and um which created quite a boost and so so, to give you an idea when the podcast started, there was like a thousand listeners the first week maybe or a couple thousand and and within a few months, i maybe had like a few- a few thousand listeners and really, it was a very, very slow climb um for the first year and then uh started picking up a little bit in the second year. Well, the last few episodes have gotten almost 50,000 downloads each, um, which is incredible. And, and this podcast is, uh, in the top 100 comedy podcasts regularly now, which it wasn't, um, even two months ago. And it is, uh, uh, regularly, um, highlighted in the science sections of of iTunes and uh, this is I'm so thankful for that guys thanks for spreading the word for me thanks for checking it out um, if if uh you know this is a non-profit podcast and I forego especially now that I know I have 50,000 listeners do you guys know how much money I'm losing every episode by not selling ads um, but I I hope that uh, <laughs> I I hope that um, I've inspired you to participate in paying it forward and giving to organizations like Maps, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, who we're talking to today. The founder, Rick Doblin, very special episode, and um, that's all. I want to live in a better, more informed world, guys. I I don't care about making uh, a little bit of money. I would rather live in a better world. And so, um, please, please keep spreading the word about this podcast for me. Please write a review. Um, considering there's 50,000 listeners and I have about 200 reviews, that means a few of you have been slacking on that. So please take the time to review that on iTunes. So this, I, if, if all of you, if all of you went on and reviewed the podcast uh, today, all of you listening that haven't, it would be the top podcast um, in the world for like a week or so at least. Um, so just to give you an idea. So please, please take the time. <laughs> to, it takes, guys, it takes like 30 seconds. Um, anyhow, <laughs> I... I just guys it really it really just takes like thirty seconds um so <laughs> I just really can't believe how many of you haven't taken the thirty seconds <laughs> to help out my free podcast. That's just kinda hilarious to me um so uh, anyway. <laughs> This is I should stop and, and re-record this but <laughs> I feel I, I just feel like I've gone a little crazy for since this whole election to be honest with you I feel like I don't understand <laughs> understand the world at all I actually... I recorded this podcast before the election. I think I probably even make a comment in there about how obviously no one's going to vote for Trump because I was shocked. Um, but, um, and uh, I've since been shocked, I should say, but I talked with Rick, uh, Rick Doblin, the, the guest today. Um, so I thought it would be, uh, good to share a little bit about what he had to say. And, um, don't, don't, I, this is out of context and I'm just, I'm paraphrasing, um, you know but but he said something that really struck a chord with me i called him to explain that uh because we talked when when we had the podcast um we talked about how i was kind of uh a a little worried about jumping all the way into kind of the the psychedelic community and the organizations and the, i've i've many interests and i will always have many interests and and um and I don't really consider psychedelics at at the top of my my interests. Um they're an important part of my life, but a lot of things are. And and so I I've been really concerned with this tour about kind of pigeonholing myself into being the psychedelic comedian or whatever. And then after this election um, I was just like You know what I've, if i 'm if i 'm able to inform people in this way and and get people thinking a little bit differently and if this is a tool that I can use um to get people just just thinking a little bit differently than they normally do and thinking a little bit more mindfully, then I do want to be a part of that, and I do want to uh do more so i 'm I'm I'm going to focus even more on um my psychedelic um show, doing doing that live and figuring out what else I can do with that. Um I will probably, you know, the first season, I think I had one guest on talking about psychedelics. I've been very slow to kinda um out myself as a psychedelic user. And but uh I'm out now and I might as well um if I have a little bit of influence, then then great, and maybe in the future I'll figure out how to do a comedy show about ending homelessness or aggression, or you know, that's a. I'm I'm just a ways off from figuring out what what that looks like. Um, I'm I am actually working on other various shows and other topics that are important to me. I'm just exceptionally busy with this right now, um, but. So, uh, so I called Rick to tell him that I'm, I'm interested in trying to be more involved because I, as I said last week, I, I don't think just donating a little bit of money here and there to charity organizations is enough. I think that, uh, I think that it's time that we're going to have to get involved because this, this world, this, this country just took a bizarre turn and, um, and it's a little troubling. And so I was calling Rick to, um, to, explain this to him and he had something interesting to say about the whole election about how sometimes when you have a bad trip, this kind of uh, difficult trip, rather difficult trip, uh, these kind of what it's about and why they can be so rewarding. Ultimately, if you know what you're doing and know what to look for is that you're it's, it's bringing all of these dark kind of ugly parts of yourself to the surface and these things that are kind of hard to look at, that we don't like to address. And um, I think, and, and so he was kind of talking about how this is kind of happening culturally right now. And I think that's a really good point. I think this is kind of a phenotypic um, effect in a way. Um, I think that uh, we've been doing this podcast for two years now. Right, and um, we we've talked endlessly about in and out group behavior and stereotypes. Why people stereotype? Why why people have these um, weird ideas about status? Why we've evolved to do that? Um, how how people often um, are prejudiced? Prejudiced? These stereotypes are like so shallow. Something like skin color is just such. Base level information, just pure uninformed nonsense that we have evolved to pay attention to, um, and and the people that do it the worst are the ones that are the most mindful of it, or uh, sorry, the least mindful of it. These are the people that are that are so sure of themselves; they don't need to. They don't need to learn science. Who needs it? Learning. Nah, no, thank you. Got everything I need to know. I, the, these are, and and these are the people that make the most mistakes in life and they're screwing everything up. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been trying for two years now. To just be like, hey, you know, everyone can learn. And this can be accessible stuff. And this is, let's have fun with some of these neat ideas, guys. Hey, isn't it kind of neat to learn a few fun new facts? And trying to guide people into that. And um, I, I'm realizing uh, now that, that you know, maybe um, maybe it's not enough maybe people need their minds ripped open um, because uh because now we're getting a good look at um what what's actually a, a lot of a lot of people were in the closet a lot of trump supporters obviously were in the closet um before the election uh they didn't want to be called bigots or whatever because i mean obviously if you're worried about being called a bigot eh, why are you worried about that Maybe just don't behave one, like one, um, and and whatever. We'll save the whole anti PC stuff for another day, um, because this this is all coming out. The there are white supremacists that will call themselves white nationalists, as if that's somehow better sounding. Um, but there are, are white supremacists that are um, in the White House. Uh, or, or going into the White House. Um, this is it's insanity what's happening. And, um, but it's coming out now. We can see it. We can see the ugliness. We can see the stupidity. And we can see what the problems are. And when we do that, we can get a better look at how to fix things. And so I, I just wanted to share, um, that with you i thought it was an interesting um idea just an interesting commentary on kind of this is this is some silver lining of what's coming out of this is that we we are now going to get a good look at um exactly all the kind of prejudices and biases that reside within all of us to certain degrees and now they're just being amplified this is a bad trip that we're about to go on for four years, and hopefully, um, we're going to get an opportunity to learn a whole lot from it. And so, sorry for the long winded spiel and lecture. It always makes me self conscious. Um, whenever, I, whenever I, I, this is, this podcast is about my guests, and I'm now 14 minutes deep into, um, giving a long winded spiel. Um, I try to only reserve that for when I have something especially important to say. And I feel like I do right now, this is season three. I am so amped for it. Thank you guys so much for being a part of it and listen on the backside to hear more about where we're going in the future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. I have the founder of the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, also known as MAPS. Rick Doblin is joining me. Thank you, Rick.
2: <laughs> Jane, it's great to be here, and I'm so glad you brought your comedy tour to Boston.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm happy you came out and checked out the show. We even got Rick on. <laughs> the audience in Boston got a special treat. We even got Rick on stage uh to talk about maps a little bit.
2: Yeah, it was hilarious Shane, and it was sold out. They were turning people away. Yeah, I've
0: had a few of those <laughs> on the tour. It's good. I started doing this tour to like <laughs> tens of people and, yeah. and and uh now uh it's it's going much better now. And so fortunately, I've I've had um good people like maps organization mm-hmm. showing a lot of support for me. And yeah it's a it's it's wonderful it's the most exciting show that I've done of my career so
2: and it was very encouraging for me to see it too because you know one of the big approaches that we're trying to talk about is how if you look at gay rights and gay marriage it was because people came out and said that they were gay came out of the shadows yeah and we need that for psychedelics and drug policy reform and yeah
0: and and by that he means of course that psychedelic will make you gay is what he, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no i i mean i was i i've talked about this before um i for about i've i've had this i've had plenty of material i've had for years. I thought eventually I'd do a show about psychedelics and I was so scared to like actually start to do a little joke in my act. Okay, but I was very nervous about you. I mean, I have to think about what's my family going to think? You know, yeah. I, I, I got to get all these reputable scientists for my podcast. Are they going to think I'm some crazed druggie or right? all the things that... Yes, we do, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, to be honest, <laughs> Since I have come out, not that, I mean, some of some of that was a legitimate concern, and I do still have, you know, people feel, I feel like people judge it unfairly, there's a stigma mm-hmm. attached, but it's nothing like what I thought it would be like. In fact, just because the psychedelic community is such mm-hmm. a warm, uh, loving community and is so welcoming that um, I I say that... The pros of coming out of the psychedelic (laughs) closet were far more than the cons.
2: It was incredible for me because I saw more people than I thought would come out for a talk, you know, a comedy show about psychedelics, and they seemed to really appreciate what you were saying. And what I liked so much is that you talked about both sides of it. I mean, you you talked. Maybe it's even easier to make comedy about the bad trips or the difficult trips. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But but you were able to not just be a total proselytizer for psychedelics. You talked about the risks, the challenges, how it takes courage to do these things, and it was a balanced perspective, and I thought that was something that permitted people to acknowledge their own fears and anxieties. It wasn't all just, you know, pro-psychedelics, and we all take it, and we <laughs> see God, and there's nothing yeah. hard, and it's, you know, we're all like... in. You know, vanguards of the truth, which is very you know suspicious if it ever turns out that way.
0: I know. I I very much uh, I've gone out of my way to be like to very much stay away from the. Let's all eat mushrooms, and we're all going to be a million times smarter and happier, and it's going to change everything in the whole uh, whole world. Because I really do believe that psychedelics can have a tremendous benefit for humans in, in our world and but but it needs to be a much more measured kind of yeah reasonable i don't think we can go around ranting it's that's just going to turn off too many people
2: exactly and i think this idea that that you also expressed was that there are certain kind of understandings and experiences that you can get with psychedelics but that they're not the only way you can get them. It's not like we have a patent on the truth. The psychedelic community, because of the use of these drugs, somehow or other knows stuff that nobody else does, and we're, again, and I think that was one of the problems of the 60s, was kind of the arrogance of the 60s and the whole counterculture movement that, that we're being repressed, which was true, but that also there was an arrogance about how we've really got the truth and nobody else does, and I thought the way in which... You could um, you know, sort of joke about that, mm. but also um, talk about how other ways that people can use, that it's not like a psychedelic experience, that these drugs help us have human experiences that are valid. The drugs are just the catalysts, but you can get there in other ways. Now, for most of us, or many of us, certainly for me, uh, the other ways didn't work so well.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I know. <laughs> well, but after I think, especially after you do psychedelics a couple yeah. times, you can kind of tap into those other ways easier. Yes. Like kind of taking, um, you know, uh, traveling to a new place can be a a trip for you more like yeah. a psychedelic experience. Once you kind of un- understand how to recognize these, um, these I, I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but but to it's it's like once you learn to meditate, you can yeah. appreciate your flow states that you can get through sports or whatever. Yeah, um, that you can get there. It's just it kind of increases your um, your mindfulness of them.
2: Yeah, one of the most important research projects that's going on right now in the world with psychedelics is taking place in Switzerland, and it's with lifelong meditators mostly in the Zen tradition, and many of them, if not most most of them, got turned on in the early parts of their lives to psychedelics and then decided that they wanted to do some techniques that would help ground and anchor it, and they started developing meditation. And there was this unfortunate split, in part because of the criminal crackdown, is that a lot of people who got into meditation, and a lot of the meditation teachers were like, well, now... We've moved beyond psychedelics. We don't need psychedelics anymore. The psychedelics did give us a vision, but now we have to anchor it Mm -hmm. through this daily meditation practice. And so this is a study of people that have been using psychedelics early in their life, haven't for a very long time, have been meditating for 30 or 40 years. And they go into the University of Zurich for brain scans. Then they go to this meditation retreat of about seven days, in the Zen Center, Fell Center in Luzerne, Switzerland. And in the middle of it, they all get a pill and half get psilocybin and half get a placebo. And while they're in this meditation retreat, and then at the end of the retreat, they go back and get more brain scans. And then they're followed up for months afterwards about personality changes relating to um, openness and mysticism and compassion and empathy. But they also are looking at whether their meditation practice is impacted. And so what people are reporting is that they're able to deepen their meditation practice, even after 40 years, decades and decades and decades, that you still, our minds are so powerful and we're able to channel in certain ways and avoid things that we don't want to look at. And psychedelics sort of break up that ability of us to filter information in certain ways, and and so things come up from the unconscious. And even for these trained meditators, the kind of experiences that they've had with the psilocybin helps them to experience states that they haven't quite experienced before with their meditation, and then they can work afterwards without the psychedelics to deepen their meditation practice. And so what it's showing is that instead of it being a one or the other, we do psychedelics and then they open us up and then they do meditation or we just skip the psychedelics that you can have a parallel process throughout your life of occasional psychedelic experiences with more daily integrative practices like meditation or like psychotherapy or art or any number of different ways that people can integrate it. But that there is this coming together of spirituality and psychedelics that in the late 60s, early 70s, were together. And then with the crackdown, then there they, they was sort of this split. Those people that chose the non-drug approach and those people kind of stuck with the psychedelics. So it's so reassuring to see this coming together of science and spirituality and psychedelics and meditation.
0: Um, yeah, that's, I, I mean, one, one, um, <laughs> That's at least certainly in my case, and it seems to be the case that that a little bit of psychedelics <laughs> goes a long ways. Is <laughs> yeah. psychedelics aren't like a, a a pill that you take every day, you know, in, in the yeah. morning. I mean, maybe some people. Well, use well it even is.
2: in our therapy studies, um, we talk about it as psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. The most important thing is the psychotherapeutic context the preparation, the building the therapeutic alliance, the trust between the therapist and the patients, that that's absolutely crucial. And then you layer in the psychedelics, but they're only used, for example, in our study with MDMA for psychotherapy for a post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a three-and-a-half-month process, more or less weekly non-drug psychotherapy and only three days of MDMA one month apart. So the emphasis is really on the therapeutic context, and then the MDMA or the LSD or the psilocybin or ibogaine or ayahuasca or peyote or any number of these things that they facilitate the therapeutic process, but they're not the magic bullet in and of themselves.
0: Yeah, I try to make it very clear that they are <laughs> not a magic bullet. That's not. I I think that uh, that's another misunderstanding is people think like. Okay, I'll, I'll try psychedelics one time and then ho- hopefully that will just fix everything. And <laughs> my, yeah. my, I don't know if that many people <laughs> have that unrealistic of expect, um, expectations, but uh, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but I do yeah. think that people, and then the, and then people, I definitely want to talk to you about integration yeah. because yeah. I yeah. think that people don't. Uh, A lot of my friends and uh, tons of people that I know that have done or continue to do psychedelics, it's still just like, let's go to this concert or whatever. I'm not saying don't do psychedelics and go to a concert. It's just I think that you're missing out on more of the benefits. If you want the benefits from them, I I feel like the the party scene is not really...
2: Well, (laughs) I guess... um... I need to. Uh, I, I. In some ways, I agree with you, but I'd like to say that I think the um, going to concerts and going to festivals and doing drugs that that's a new spirituality for mm-hmm. a lot of people, and that there is something very spiritual about communal group experiences. And you can talk about it at people taking LSD at the Grateful Dead concerts, and right there, there was the, just the way that their concerts evolved to have, you know, two long sets and an intermission and then to go late. And sometimes they would have, you know, the space jams and things for when people are at the peak of the trip. And so that we tend to go along with the culture that has denigrated sort of recreational drugs and they're always frivolous and they're always somehow or other reckless and somehow cheap and, and narrow. But I think you can have some of the most spiritual experiences of your lives, you know, dancing with a group of people, particularly if it's outdoors all night, you know, to the sunrise, those kind of experiences. But I think the the difference for me between this idea of this recreational and therapeutic is that the recreational use, people are sort of looking at it like I'm going to have this experience and that's all it is while I'm high. Right. And with therapy, it's like, okay, I'm having this experience when I'm high, but what do I learn from it? What do I bring back? How do I change my daily life so that it's, a little bit different. And that's the same way we're talking about with meditation and psychedelics, that these people that are in the experiment that I just described in Switzerland, when they have their psychedelic experiences, they can spend years and years and years trying to integrate that one experience and deepen their meditation so that they have more fluidity in their own interior consciousness. But that they're they're not doing the experience fundamentally for just those moments when they're under the influence of the drug. But it's that plus how you bring back to change your, and that's what I think makes it really much more of a safe and responsible situation. It's not just um, what do we, you know, experience in the moment. And I think there's a lot that can be done in the moment and there's a lot to be said for recreational experiences and our entertainment. But I think the potential of psychedelics, which we've seen in our therapy is a few sessions in a therapeutic context can change people's lives and get them out of patterns that they've been stuck in sometimes for decades.
0: Yeah. I, why do you think that is? Because that's something that I notice all the time when I when I um when I personally trip I'll notice that these these little things that you take for granted like mm. getting up and walking and getting yeah. a glass of water like I yeah. I talk about in my act um yeah. is something that you can Otherwise, do on autopilot is yeah. like it takes a little more conscious effort, and because of that, for me, I've been able to notice some of these patterns where it's like, "Oh wait, why do yeah. I? I need to turn that autopilot button off and stop yeah. doing that." Do you know what it? What's going mm-hmm. on in the brain? That's, yeah.
2: That, um. Well. Um. Once you do your international comedy tour. <laughs> Um, If you go to London, the person I would suggest you meet up with is a man named Robin Carhart-Harris. And so he's the one that's doing research with LSD and psilocybin and MDMA and brain scans. And what he's um, learned is that um, the, the way the brain operates, there's a network. It's called the default mode network. And what that means, the default mode, it means like where you sort of, fall back into when nothing's happening. It's just like it's like your ego states. And there's so much information that we're perceiving all the time in terms of uh, all of our body sensations. And, and what we focus on, though, is what we think is most important for us to be dealing for our different hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of determined by these ego states and by this default mode network that helps channel our attention. On you know food, survival, sex, shelter, you know jobs, all, all these different things that we think are social status. Our ego kind of narrows what we're looking at from all this incredible amount of information that's coming in both conscious and uh, unconscious. What LSD and psilocybin do is that they reduce activity in the default mode network in the filtering parts of the brain that are filtered by our sort of ego-self needs. And then when those activities, those centers of activity in the brain are weakened, you could say, where activity is reduced, then you you aren't doing this filtering. Then you get this flood of experience. And so things that you've been previously suppressing or that you just haven't noticed, like, you know, the miracle of water, <laughs> the miracle of air, that that everything, um, you know, we, we don't appreciate our ability. You know, one of the... Um, Jewish prayers is about um, you know praying praying for um, you know all your orifices, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and and everything that's coming in and out, yeah, you know, and how you totally take that for granted.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Some people pray for their orifices (laughs) once in a while. Yeah,
2: it's (laughs) pretty good. But this idea that there's this can deeper sense of being able to perceive all sorts of information. And then you get this flood of sense of connection. That's where people sometimes get synesthesias as well. And that's where you get this mystical sense of connection. So it's Mm -hmm. this, you go beyond the ego state, the ego control over the unconscious is weakened. And I think people often don't really fully um, credit the fact that we do this every night when we have our dreams So psychedelics are closest to the dream state. Mm -hmm. And when you have this flow of material in your dreams, it can be all different emotions, different feelings, different people you haven't thought of for 20 years just pop into your brains. But that there is some kind of an emotional logic going on with dreams. I mean, we probably all have the experience where something so scary happens in a dream that then you just wake up. Mm hmm and the difference is with psychedelics you can't wake up you're you're in it and so you have to learn how to navigate those fearful moments when you react as if it's too much or overwhelming and that's really the challenge and that's where i think when we talk about doing psychedelics in a recreational way that's where it's dangerous because recreational users are going out for fun and they often have this idea that if difficult stuff comes up, then that's labeled as a bad trip.
0: Yeah, and, yeah. And
2: then you got to suppress it because a bad trip is only going to get worse if you look at it. And it's true that if you look at it, it gets worse, but it gets worse on the way to getting better. And you have to fully experience it. Um, Stan Groff, who's the world's leading um, LSD researcher and helped start transpersonal psychology, and is my mentor in this therapeutic aspect Of psychedelics he talked about how the full experience of an emotion is the funeral pyre of that emotion
0: Uh, can you explain that
2: yeah that the one thing we know about the universe is that it's all in motion everything's moving everything's changing it's not like nothing is standing still we're all rotating through space space is expanding time is going you know, in you know emotions. that the Earth is flat, though, right? You, <laughs> you
0: do know that that's uh, the circle thing's a big hoax. Well, I, I,
2: I, I know <laughs> Sorry, that if Trump on. is elected, that there's, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's no global warming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Earth is flat. There's only one right religion, of course. <laughs> of course, and that's ours. Uh, Sorry, I interrupted <laughs> for a silly joke. Yeah, no, it's just that there's this. Um, sense that... Constant
0: change all of the time. Everything, there's so the kind yeah, of fluid dynamics.
2: Yeah, that, that, that if you fully experience emotions, that it, particularly emotions that make you feel like they're never going to end. You know, I'm going crazy or I'm dying, or if I go into this fearful state, I'll be terrified forever. It's that sense that these are going to be timeless, infinite traps of hell. But if you fully go into them, then they'll, and you open to them, then that's the fastest way to get them to change. Mm. So the full experience of an emotion is the funeral pyre, is the end of that emotion. I mean, people can sort of think about it in terms of grief or in terms of, um, you know, somebody that you love has died and you just hold back the emotions. And once you can just let out a cry and, and feel the sadness of it, then after that you realize, well, you're still alive and you need to do something with your life. And then you can, can move on. You're not endlessly trapped in the grief and where we find with post-traumatic stress disorder or um, prolonged grief. It's where people are right on the edge of the emotion, Mm. but they're so scared that if they go into it, they get trapped into it. They could never get out or it's overwhelming. They go crazy or, People confuse ego death with physical death, that if I go there, I'm physically going to die. That The problem there is you're right on the borderline of that emotion. It never goes away. You can never get rid of it. It's always coming up to be acknowledged, but unless you fully experience it, it's never going to be integrated into the rest of your life and help you move forward. So the thought people have a lot of times in psychedelic experiences is, this is too overwhelming. I can't let myself feel it. And the job of the therapist is to create a safe enough space and to have prepared the person that the the way is through. And one of the principles of our Zendo uh, psychedelic harm reduction program that we do at Burning Man and other events around the world and festivals to try to create a model for a post-prohibition world. One of the main principles is talk through, not talk down. Mm-hmm to help people go into it, and then it, it seems like it'll be forever, but it transforms. And so what we know is then this default mode network is weakened. Things come to the surface that are normally suppressed. You have this whole um, array of perceptions and things that we take for granted, and you can learn to appreciate, again, the simple things of life, like just you know being able to... Um, to walk
0: <laughs> trees yeah, yeah. plants <laughs> plants that i've walked by a million <laughs> times before that all of a sudden i'm like that plant is awesome how have i never seen this particular like little shrub or something before yeah
2: because you're focused on this ego states like what do i need how do i get ahead how do i survive and so that's another principle of psychedelic therapy is that Ideally, you have somebody else there who's not tripping, who creates this bubble around you so that you are not responsible for your physical survival mm. because you don't want to have to get the door. You don't want to have to get the phone. You don't even want to have to be able to respond if there's a fire. You want to go so deep into your unconscious, so deep into the inner world that you're really not responsible for yourself. But that's okay if you have this therapeutic context and and sometimes you know experienced trippers occasionally I'll trip by myself you know we, but it's better I really. trip by
0: myself all the time but I do not recommend it to people I mean especially I mean I probably shouldn't even do <laughs> you know I I usually call a friend or something like that I'm like hey will you just Check yeah. in on me if you don't hear from me for yeah a few
2: it's, hours. It's important. I mean, if, with the LSD research that we did in Switzerland with um, people who had life threatening illnesses were scared of dying, um, roughly eighty to ninety percent of the eight hour session, which is with a male female co therapist team, roughly eighty to ninety percent people are having their own trip anyway. Their eyes are closed. They're listening to music. They're in these nonverbal states. They're going through a whole series of images and metaphors and, um, and dramas, interior dramas. And every once in a while they'll come out and they'll talk to the therapist or the therapist checks in, runs every hour or so. But people still do. Basically you have your own experience, but you can go a little bit deeper when you can relax that part of your brain that's monitoring your physical survival. Right. And with MDMA, it's a different situation because MDMA doesn't really reduce activity in the default mode network. It reduces activity in the amygdala where we process fear. And so we're able to look at challenging, difficult emotions with less fear. And so, roughly 40 to 50% of the time of an MDMA session, again, eight hours with a male female team, roughly half of it is discussions with the therapists. And the rest is people having their own inner experiences as well. Mm. So we really want to protect in a therapeutic environment the ability of people to explore on their own. Because the fundamental thing is that people have to heal themselves. That the, we, we never use the word guide. I mean, a lot of times people talk about you know guides. Who's your guides? Yeah. But the guide word implies that the guide knows where you need to go. Right. And we have no idea where you need to go. I mean, you know, we know you need to go into your trauma. We know you need to, you know, open up and look in. But you have the map inside you. Everybody does. And so we're trying to empower people to heal themselves. Mm. And that's what we try to do. And and there's a little bit of a difference in kind of traditional religions or certain kind of psychotherapies or even shamanism. Sometimes in shamanism, the shaman takes the drug and the person doesn't. And they go into this non-ordinary states of consciousness and they try to heal you. So looking at the power dynamics of the therapeutic relationship is very crucial. Mm. And for us, in the power dynamics are essential that we are not the guide. We are not the person that's doing the hard work. We're just sitting around as the psychedelic therapist listening to music, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, sitting there. Um, we've had to do our own deep inner work, but we're there to help the patient face things that they've had a difficult time facing, integrate things that they've repressed, and the hard work is there, and the credit is there, too. So it's about empowering people, and I think that's how you can sort of judge um, which kind of therapists that you want to work with, which ones help you um, become more powerful on your own, and not create a, a certain kind of a dependency.
0: That's uh, I I now have forty questions uh, <laughs> over the last five minutes. Um, one, I I I I'll just say it. I'm I'm a little biased. I know that the psychedelic some a lot of people in the new age or psychedelic community might uh uh just disagree with me, but I am I'm just very skeptical of shamanism in general i just don't Uh i've i've done a shaman thing with ayahuasca a couple times and you know it was it was great that there was someone there for this thing that i was inexperienced Mm -hmm. with but i also i also thought that give me (laughs) uh, give me a good chemist uh (laughs) paramedic and a uh a trusted friend anytime over over a shaman um or or a trained therapist or psychologist um and and i don't know but di- different i mean i i feel like some people want need the the guide especially early on they yeah. they just they want it they they need it they think it to me it's i i don't think someone else is going to figure out i don't think anyone else has this magic correct path. Everyone is on all of these yeah. different paths and I just don't see how someone can tell you where to go on it. I mean, that's kind of like yeah, what you were saying. Yeah, and a lot
2: of it is giving away your power to others, too. Right. I and mean, your, your power, we, we want the truth and so it's, it's kind of a, a an instinct almost to want to have a leader that tells you the truth and then you don't have to think for yourself anymore. Yeah. The, the problem with um, a lot of um, traditional religious context or shamanistic contexts is that there's a lot of dogma into it that's um, culturally specific but not universal. And they kind of make it out as if this is the universal truth. Mm-hmm. And and there's a way in which, too, I think there's a, this romanticism that people have about uh, shamanism that we're going to go to Peru or we're going to go to Brazil and this shaman that's been doing this for thousands of years, you know, is going to heal us when, you know, they're constantly um, prisoners of their culture, just as we are prisoners of our culture. There's a lot of shamanism about um, power. I mean, if we look at Carlos Castaneda and some of his early books, one of the books was called Tales of Power. It was about conflicts between shamans. And you get this stories even now about shamans sending poison darts and doing psychic darts
1: throwing through that but,
2: but they're not always focused on healing they're more focused on power a lot of times All right. and they've had to come up within the dominant Roman Catholic tradition so the ayahuasca churches from Brazil and um, Peru from South America they're heavily Catholicized they have um, they're homophobic they're patriarchal they're very um hierarchical right and they they're they're very particular. There there was a time when I was um listening to the origin story of the Uniao de Vegetal, the U D V. And what they talk about is King Solomon somehow or other going to Brazil, sneaking away from Israel, nobody noticed. <laughs> right. for a brief trip, flow over to Brazil. And he's the one that told him how to put together the Roots and the li- the vines and the leaves, yeah. and I'm like, okay, metaphor, right? Some smart person went, and they're like, no, 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 that was King Solomon. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's it's just you get this confusion between metaphor and reality, and that's a problem of fundamentalism and all the different religions. And so, so I think what we need to do is keep a healthy skepticism about. People. yay thank you <laughs> about what we when we think we've found the truth that's when you need to be the most skeptical
0: i that's <laughs> ah that's all i'm trying to tell people that's uh, i mean you saw my show yeah the yeah point that i'm trying to make at that yeah. i mean i just it, one one of the and and i actually have more on kind of making light of the ayahuasca experiences that <laughs> yeah. I had and, and and not, not the drug that just the experience of, of the, of it, the, the, it was very culty and, mm-hmm. and, um, and because I'm drawing a psychedelic crowd, that's like the edgiest part of my act. <laughs> I like really have to worry about offending people. You're yeah. saying shamans aren't real and all this. <laughs> and, and, and I think that there are, I think that there's probably plenty of, like, great shaman. I, I mean, yeah. you, even the shaman that I went to was just like, this, this is you. This is your time. Th- you work this out. That's great. I'm going to yes. sing these songs, you know, and yeah. we'll be here checking in on you. But yeah. this is your time. That's and great.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah. Because that's where the power dynamics are. They're not trying to be the one that does it all. Right. They're trying to facilitate you to do your own work. I mean, I, I had a sad situation of I lost a girlfriend, and because um, she had had breast cancer and had been um, cured of it, but she was always worried about it returning, and she wanted me to go to a Filipino faith healer with her, the ones Mm. that sort of psychic surgery. Right, right. So, you know, we we went to this uh, Filipino faith healer, and um, she suggested that I let him work on me too. And I'm like, okay, you know, so... You go into a room, there's a massage table with sheets down to the ground, there's two people sitting on the other side, the back of the wall is behind them, you can't see anything that's at their feet or anything, and they they pull this stuff out of me and show it to me, and I'm like, wow, that's really interesting, I I can't wait to have that analyzed and see what that is. Mm. And I was like, oh, we can't give that to you. I'm like, well, you just took it out of me. I mean, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> you know, give it to me, and he refused to do it. <laughs> uh, and so my girlfriend was so in need of yeah belief that this was going to help prevent, you know, life threatening cancer from returning. Right. That that kind of skepticism, it just ended up breaking. We're still friends, but it just broke up the, the relationship that way. Yeah, yeah. I um,
0: well, I mean, I do. uh I think I said this when I was talking with um, Brad Burge, um, the, the uh, communications director. Um, on what the, I think that was the first Maps episode I did on here. I'm um, I, I I did I I do believe that a lot of life is about finding the placebo that works for you. <laughs> yeah. It's just that I believe that um, that a good amount of skepticism can lead you to finding a more believable placebo yeah. that yeah. that is a, a little more on track with with the reality you know and I don't think there's magic bullets or anything, and I don't think you know one of the beauties of science is ever scientists are always saying i don't know, and we don't know we can't we yeah. can't ever prove this a hundred percent
2: although in a way you can have um i wish that were true, but one of the physicists uh in the twenties that was working on quantum physics. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of resistance among other physicists to that. And so what he said was, um, science proceeds funeral by funeral. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that there's a way in which even with scientists, people get stuck believing certain things and their careers are built on it. And then they have a hard time when you get contradictory information. So that search for the bit of the puzzle that doesn't fit in, that's really the search for knowledge. right? And if you're willing to, uh, like what we hear today about the presidential election, too, is that everybody is, not everybody, but most people are watching the TV shows that confirm their beliefs all the time. Mm-hmm. That, that you get these self-confirmatory feedback loops, and you're Republican, right, and you watch right, right. Fox News, and everything is tilted one way, or you watch something else and it's tilted another way. And what we need to do, I've been... Late at night, lately, you know, getting stoned, watching TV, and turning on Fox News, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and One America News, uh, and just trying to like, oh my god, where yeah. are these people coming from? But part of it is just to get out of the bubble that I'm in myself, right, <laughs>
0: right, yeah. Well, that can that can reinforce the bubble sometimes if <laughs> oh, you're yeah. like, let's see what these idiots are talking about, yeah, um, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely, science isn't a magic bullet either, right. um, and scientists are very much susceptible to, but, but the ideas of science that we'll never know everything we need to, it doesn't mean that every scientist is following this along and and doing a perfect job of it. but but, but. yeah.
2: And, and, and scientists also, you know, who's funding them for what purposes. Right. So for the longest time, once the crackdown happened against the psychedelic community in the sixties, starting in the late sixties, by the early seventies, psychedelic research was pretty much wiped out all over the world. Um, And the kind of science that got funded was looking at the risks of psychedelics Mm -hmm. and then often exaggerating the risks. And people would get more and more grant money the more they exaggerated the risks. We had this one situation where for a while um, researchers out of Johns Hopkins were claiming that MDMA would hurt the dopamine system and cause Parkinson's. And this was an article in Science Magazine, the most respected scientific journal in the entire world. And the editor published an article about it um, saying this is a a commentary saying this is a very, very important article. And it turned out that um, in one of the most scandalous situations that somehow they'd mixed up the bottles of methamphetamine and MDMA. And they were were giving all these monkeys, primates, methamphetamine, which is dosed in smaller amounts than MDMA. But they were dosing it as MDMA. All right. They were causing these problems. But it was complete mistake but while before it took it took a couple of years for us to pressure them to try to replicate it they couldn't they finally acknowledged that they'd switched these bottles but in that period of time a couple of people would be reporting oh i've seen a parkinson's patient and he reported doing mdma before and that was now proof so you right. start getting confirmatory right. anecdotal reports and but it's it was self correcting so that is the beauty of science is it does have this self correcting Mechanism, but we have to be... Funerals. <laughs> yeah. but we have to be... We have to be really um, cautious about what we think mm. we know. And I think the beauty of psychedelics, and where it sort of showed this in the early story about these lifelong meditators, is that we all get trapped in certain patterns. Mm. And that when you can scramble those patterns in your brain through psychedelics, you can actually... Learn new things and keep growing. And a lot of times people think about psychedelics as something for young people either to
0: I know. That drives <laughs> I, I always I often say I probably didn't um I may not have said this the other day when you were at yeah. the show, but I often say like psychedelics are an adult drug. They are Yeah. And and I don't I don't know what your feelings are, but honestly I, I really I don't think that the college age is necessarily the best age to be doing a bunch of psychedelics. I don't know, or at least using it.
2: Well, I think that the classic concept of uh, going on a vision quest when you're young to Mm -hmm. figure out what you want to do with your life, find your passion, that psychedelics are great for that. Okay, And so I think psychedelics have a different role at different stages of the lifespan. And I think for people who are teenagers, who are... um, or in college in that early age, um, that's an excellent time for psychedelics because you're trying to figure out the big questions. And this is where you set the direction for your life a lot of times. But there's also more dangers at that time. That's when people tend, if they're going to have a schizophrenic break, it tends to be when they're in college Can, age.
0: can you, uh, what is Yeah. the deal with the schizophrenic break? What, what's, What does the research show?
2: Well, I'd say the most important, and this has also been um, discussed in context of marijuana. People have talked about marijuana causing schizophrenic breaks. Mm. But for the last hundred years, and this is from uh, Dr. Lester Grinspoon, who was one of the, uh, 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 he was uh, at Harvard Medical School, a psychiatrist. Um, He wrote, he created the Harvard Mental Health Letter. He was very, um, prominent in the American Psychiatric Association, and he's been the leading advocate for the medical marijuana among the academic community for decades, since the early 70s. But what he's talked about was that the base rate for schizophrenia going past about the last 100 years, in our culture, but in cultures all over the world, and as far as we can tell, it's around 1% of the population is schizophrenic. Now, if you look at the incredible increase of the use of marijuana and the use of psychedelics during the sixties and seventies. If those drugs catalyze schizophrenia, you would see an increase in the base rate of schizophrenia as the, the supposed catalysts, their use expanded dramatically, but that isn't what we saw. Mm. So it does seem like these drugs can precipitate emergence of, um, Schizophrenia and people that are prone to that, but we don't know how to predict who's prone to it. Mm. But it's not like a um, lifelong sentence either. Schizophrenia is in part the splitting apart. We, we think about it as split personalities or, you know, you're hearing voices or, or somehow you're separating out, you're projecting out something is not you. Um, and what we find is that under the influence of MDMA, um, People who are highly dissociated um, can often by trauma because they've had to separate out that trauma was so bad that they they had to sort of in their mind escape to somewhere else Mm. or it was so emotionally traumatic that um, under the influence of MDMA, assisted psychotherapy, people can get reintegrated um dissociative identity disorder we exclude people in our studies from dissociative with dissociative identity disorder in our PTSD studies but that's only because they need a stronger context and they need more than 3 sessions often but i think what's going on is that it's this when people have a psychedelic experience that's difficult um, you do tend to want to push part of it away mm-hmm. and and that's really dangerous and then even worse is when you've done that, you've pushed it away, you are you haven't really fully integrated it, it still bothers you. And then sometimes you'll go to a psychiatrist and they'll tranquilize you or they'll give you or during the acute effects, you go to the hospital, you, you know, you're acting out, you go to the hospital, they tranquilize you. That freezes it in place. And then you get this idea that these deep experiences that came up in the past that were so strong and sort of threw me off balance that, you know, I need to keep them suppressed the whole time. That's sort of modern psychiatry. Mm -hmm. But what we're learning about through the psychedelics is that rather than keep them suppressed, you can heal from them if you bring them to the surface in a safe place and work to try to integrate them. So a lot of times for people that have had a psychotic break, you could say, with the classic psychedelic, what we would do ideally in in the world of the future is we would treat them with MDMA. MDMA is more integrative. Mm-hmm. And then you would eventually move back to a classic psychedelic, mm-hmm. but in a safer place, because these are experiences that go deep in your psyche. And uh, is that a... It's,
0: it's not a big deal. Oh, um, okay. Did, not the phone.
2: Okay, so th- these things just, they go deep, deep in your psyche. And if you don't resolve them, you know, it's like when the drug wears off, the, the, the issues are still there. You're just not paying attention to them, and they're affecting you all the time. Right. So I, I actually had this incredible experience of working with um, a fellow who was a, um, a therapist working at the Burning Man with us and volunteered for his endo, helped people uh, going through their own difficult trips, and then the next day he had his own breakdown. It's like he felt like he deserved it. He helped somebody, now he needed help. Mm. And what came out is that he'd had an LSD trip almost 40 years before that was profoundly disturbing. So much disturbing that that's in part what drove him to try to become a psychotherapist, but he'd never fully addressed it. Mm. And it was the classic bad trip of, we were talking about this earlier today about perfectionism. Uh, So this was, um, he saw God, God said, you know, I'm, You know, this magnificent uh, creature, God, and you're this like insignificant, flawed human being. and You're screwed up and all of this. And the only way you can really show respect towards me, towards the universe, is to commit suicide. And he actually attempted that. Mm. And he didn't succeed, fortunately. But this was something where he had this deep, deep distrust of his own self, his own psyche. And so, under the influence of MDMA, he was able to go back to that experience and talk about it with us, about how he felt that um, he got into this mistaken idea that, that the way to show respect was not to acknowledge your imperfections and then try to make them better, but to commit suicide. Right. And, and so, we saw that MDMA helped him deal with a bad trip from roughly 39 years before, and we're thinking that MDMA can help society deal with the not bad trip, but the difficult trip when psychedelics came on the scene in the '60s. Um, people, our culture was not ready for many, many aspects of it. We had um, tried to um, really cover up the irrational. I think, in part, because we saw the the terribly damaging power of the irrational during World War II. That Hitler was able to motivate motivate people through these irrational forces and project outwards and you know destroy you know incredible tens and tens of millions of people in this consuming kind of social craziness that, that people were you know projecting the, this outward, but that these kind of um, energies that you need to somehow own them and work through them, and if we can have large numbers of people become more mentally healthy themselves, then they won't be so easily um, manipulated in that way. Mm. And, and that that's what we see, too, in, in the therapy, that if you've got these irrational feelings, which we all do, you need a safe place to, to bring them to the surface, look at them, and then sort of integrate them. And that's where we hope that once we can start... Um, developing the science to demonstrate to the FDA and the European Medicines Agency that psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is um, more beneficial than risky in these contexts, that then we'll be able to start setting up psychedelic clinics. Um, And before we know it, um, we should have thousands of these psychedelic clinics throughout America. Um, You know, in the 60s, people didn't talk about death you kind of, hover you know, women were tranquilized when they gave birth. Men were not allowed in the delivery room. We didn't have meditation. It was like this weird foreign import. Only a few people meditated. The yoga was also very uh, weird, and people were suspicious about yoga that it was going to connect you to some foreign religion. And um, and now we've incorporated it in our society, you know, meditation, yoga. Uh, we have hospice centers, thirty four hundred of them around America or more, and we have birthing centers and. We have a more interest in spirituality, and so now I think we're able. We've set the base over the last fifty years of people dealing with the challenging nature of the psychedelic experience, and I think our culture is poised to to really integrate it and then move beyond this kind of constant. um, We're having. Through globalization, we're, we're, we're bumping up against other people's cultures, other people's religions more than everybody, more than ever before. In a way, it's good for us in the psychedelic community because we have more access to different drugs <laughs> like <laughs> Ibogaine. I mean, who is doing Ibogaine or ayahuasca or yeah. peyote or just mushrooms or all these things? We have incredible access to the, the wealth of the world's psychedelic drugs. Mm-hmm. And people are bumping up against each other in different religions. And so I think, for me, one of the most exciting and um, potentially socially transformative research going on with psychedelics is taking place at Johns Hopkins and NYU. And it's religious leaders from different religious traditions are coming to get psilocybin. Mm. And they're looking at the quality and the nature of their experiences. Mm. And then what they're going to try to be able to do is say, what are the common themes of these experiences from people across different religions? Is there a common mystical core to all the world's religions? So right now we have the fundamentalists of the different religions, like we've got our culture, we've got our sacred books, ours is the only way. But if we can move beyond fundamentalism to a more deeper uh, global spirituality, it doesn't reduce the different Traditions. In fact, it helps people live through their own cultural traditions, even in a richer way, but in a more metaphorical way rather than a kind of a religious way. So I think that's really, for me, where we're going with the psychedelics is initially treating different clinical conditions, eventually moving beyond to help people with vision quests, to help people with personal growth, but also to try to really... Move towards a world in which we recognize and people have these direct spiritual experiences that help them appreciate the time that they have, help them be more compassionate, help them be more socially justice minded, um, less projecting on others, less demonizing others, less racism, less sexism all of that and then that-
0: and forgiving yourself for your fl- <laughs> for your many flaws too like you mentioned With i mean that well, has been yes. one of the most uh important things for me personally from from yeah. my my trips is just my ability to be like look you're just a monkey like you're <laughs> yeah. doing yeah I, I would i would sometimes have trips and be like oh I'm, I'm not working hard enough i'm a fuck up i'm doing all these <laughs> things wrong and then and then after a while i was like no i'm not I work plenty hard i'm doing yeah, good work yeah. i'm very happy with with my work yeah. and yeah I, I screw up once in a while. I party too hard once so <laughs> I do all sorts of that uh, you know <laughs> watch a little too much t v sometimes or whatever it might be and uh and that that's what's been kind of life changing for me yeah. is just in being able to forgive myself. Yeah, has been so important. And and uh, I mean, I have a million questions and points I would love to make. We got to do this again sometime. <laughs> um, yeah, but but I, I think you know with with going through not down. Yeah, um, I mean that that's one of those when when people talk about the bad. it's yeah. I don't I don't know why the brain has such a why when you resist a thought the brain doesn't be like okay we don't want to have that thought anymore let's just delete it from the system <laughs> but that's just not what happens it just gets yeah. stronger and stronger and starts causing problems now i can if i'm having a, and, and it's also people's mis misperception about life that like they're supposed to be a happy 100 percent of the time and any right. deviation from that must be yeah. something wrong um but like I had, uh, I, I was kind of touched on this when we were having breakfast, but, uh, but um, I had a, a, a difficult DMT experience that I was really drunk. You should never make alcohol. And, <laughs> not a good idea. No, not at all. <laughs> and uh, and smoked a bunch of DMT. I was by myself and it was just like right away, it was just like, you could not come in here. And it was just like this very hellish like field that was poor pushing down on me and then like my consciousness started shooting around this like hellish kind of pinball like bang, wah, 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 wah. and it was like it was usually a dmt trip is like very loving and and a yeah. bit more controlled than this and it was it was hellish and it was on it was definitely it scared me and it was unpleasant and about 30 seconds later i was just like you know what, whatever. It, <laughs> bing bong, bing bong. It's like, I get it. This is just gonna suck for a few minutes. And when I did that, everything just kind of loosened up, you know? Yeah. And everything everything just started getting, uh, I I mean, however, ended up kind of being projected in a, a hallucination. It was just everything in that world became much friendlier all of a sudden and much calmer. And and that's one of the things with with psychedelics that I think it kind of heightens all of these emotional responses. And I've learned that a lot of times this has nothing to do with my environment. There's just some chemicals going through my brain that are just making one emotion or another that happened to be heightened.
2: Yeah. Although there is a certain way in which your attitude towards those emotions, it's not just only the chemicals, but the way that your attitude shifted there to accept it. Mm -hmm. Like what I said is the full experience of the emotion is the funeral pyre of the emotion. What we've learned is that in psychedelic sessions, it's the resistance that's the problem. Mm. Even if it's if it's a fear of, you know, I'm going to die or I'm going to be dismembered or, you know, it's like go into that. Let all those things happen. We notice that when people are resisting the experience and I've had this in my early LSD trips too when I was. You know eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old, and I was trying to accelerate spirituality by taking as many psychedelics as I could as quickly as I could and not paying attention to the integration process. and having all these frightening experiences is that when I resist the energies, then it lasts the longest. And when you open to it, it runs through you in a shorter amount of time. So paradoxically, the resistance of these feelings, keeps them around for even longer. right? And that's the challenge is how do you summon up the courage to explore these areas that are so difficult and painful emotions. And that's where the therapists can be helpful or the shamans can be helpful that, that they say, you know, we've done this, we've seen this before. And the idea that you'll be able to block this, you know, cause it's going to stay there forever until you look at it. Mm -hmm. so um really it's the problem of resistance rather than the content and that but of course you also then want ideally somebody there that's protecting you again because you get into these states where you're not really um capable of uh, assuring your survival there's one thing i wanted to (laughs) just for your show possibly is that the very best um one of the best um Albums from the psychedelic 60s, one of my favorites, I should say, yeah. um, is uh, uh, from David Crosby, mm-hmm. and it's with everybody from all of the for the Grateful Dead, the Jefferson era, from all the different psychedelic groups, but the, the, it's the name of the album that um, sort of <laughs> describes the psychedelic experience. It's called If I Could Only Remember My Name. <laughs> 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 so, I encourage you to by David Crosby. Yeah, it's a fantastic yeah. album. But that is sort of like you get into these places where you're so you don't even know your name. Right. You, you can't even think in those terms. I've forgotten and, I was a
0: human before.
2: Yeah. And that's where it's helpful to have, you know, a safe context, somebody there. Right. So you can go even deeper. Because a lot of times the resistance is, oh if I You know, I've got to drive tomorrow or I have to be together in a few hours or, you know, those are the kind of thoughts in the back of your mind that that are more likely to generate a bad trip. When we tell people about MDMA therapy, we say it's a two-day experience. Don't think about it as just a few hours. Mm -hmm. It's two days. The second day you need to rest, reflect, have nothing scheduled the second day. Then you can really go into whatever you're worried about because you know you've got this time to pull yourself back together.
0: I know. It's so hard. There's this natural resistance about... Like the deeper you get in there, there's this natural part of your brain that's like, whoa, this is deeper than I thought. <laughs> uh, I didn't know it went this deep. And, and there is this very natural kind of grabbing onto this tether yeah. of reality and like, Oh, I need to stay in reality. I yeah. need to hold on to it because what I'm experiencing right now isn't reality, you know, and, yeah. and I, As I try to further my experiences, I'm really just trying to let go and untether as I, as I get deeper. And the deeper I go, I mean, the just the better the, the kind of. I don't know if pure is the right. The the more I end up gaining, and mm-hmm. and we were talking about the afterwards, yeah. The in that that to me is the most important part. And I didn't I didn't mean to like shit on going to a concert necessarily. <laughs> yeah. on psychedelics, I I have yeah. Yeah. I have had I've had I've done that plenty of times. I've had yeah. wonderful experiences. Yeah. It's just um, uh, figuring out the integration of that. I I went to a Fourth of July party. Uh, where everyone everyone tripped on the Fourth of July, and it was wonderful because mm-hmm. I was like, if I was talking with people, I felt maybe a little socially awkward at a given moment. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, why am I socially awkward? Right? Why do I get socially yeah. awkward in that? Yeah. And so I was learning a little bit about me socially, which I wouldn't normally get just being um, by myself. Yeah. But when we talk about integration, so so um, and and. I hope maybe this this metaphor can clear things up for people that haven't um haven't done psychedelics and have no interest or whatever. I'm not telling everyone that they should be doing psychedelics, right. but um but when you meditate, eventually what you want to have happen is that meditation is not the ten minutes that you're mm-hmm. sitting there actually doing the practice or the hour or mm-hmm. however long you're yeah, meditating for an hour. Yeah. I've never, I've never attempted such uh, such a thing. But but it's about taking that and integrating it throughout your day and becoming yeah. more yeah. mindful, becoming more uh, just noticing, noticing when you're on autopilot, noticing yeah. when you get too wrapped up in a given emotional state or or uh, thought pattern. Um, and and this is kind of what you're talking about with psychedelics, right? With with um, the integration
2: process? Yeah, that there's a way in which um, again, when we're talking about therapy so what, what we're basically saying, MAPS is basically primarily a non pharmaceutical company trying to develop psychedelics and marijuana into FDA approved prescription medicines as a way to create legal contexts that then can be expanded on over time and eventually will undo You know, prohibition. And And
0: where can people go to donate, by the way, if they're interested? Well, thank you.
2: (laughs) MAPS.org. Great. So just go to MAPS, M-A-P-S, like MAPS of the World Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Um, We're also having uh, Psychedelic Science 2017. We're bringing the world's uh, psychedelic researchers to one place for about five days from the 19th to the 24th of April in Oakland, and we're taking the Oakland Convention Center. We've done this before in 2010 and 2013, and we're having this um, comedy banquet.
0: If I'm not in Australia, I will be performing at this comedy <laughs> banquet. We're, we're trying to, Brad and I have been trying to yeah. get, it, get it worked out. And
2: Well, maybe if you're in Australia, but we can fly you back or something. Yeah, yeah, um, I be- will.
0: I will be- definitely try to get
2: there. Because it's... Um, it's a sign of the maturity of the movement that we can laugh at ourselves. Right. I mean, these, these banquets in the prior conferences have been um, to honor Ann and Sasha Shulgin and honor Stan Groff, to honor the elders. And now we're kind of at the place where we can laugh at ourselves. Um, but, but the idea is, again, this um, sense of being able to look at difficult issues, integrate them, and then Look at the culture that we live in and see that that wider culture, um, it's really emotional issues that are the problem. Technologically, we have developed, I mean, just the fact that we can do this podcast and that people can listen to it on the internet from all over the world. I mean, it's miraculous. We can solve all the world's problems with food, with shelter, with global warming. If we have the emotional spiritual maturity That, I think, is the challenge of the next 20, 30 years, is do we destroy the world with our technology, with our selfishness, or do we break through to a deeper consciousness? Do we understand how we're all interconnected? And that's where I think really the the role of psychedelics is one role, one tool among many to try to help this transformation of consciousness that we see um, trying to emerge, and it's the fate of the universe, the fate of, you know, our, not the whole universe, but just the fate of the planet, the fate of human species, the, uh, the defenseless other species that are going extinct at a rapid rate, The environment that is being, how can we address this? And it's not through uh, make America great again by, you know, <laughs> one of the things is that there's no way to be great by trying to be great in the way that we were great in the past. That's yeah. a path to mediocrity. Great is dealing with the changes of the future and moving into the future.
0: I think psychedelics can do a long ways in, in just breaking down fear. I think a lot of it's yeah. fear based. It's often mistaken as toughness. Um, right. yeah. A lot, a lot of times, you talk about this empathy stuff, yeah. and 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 the ideas is that these people are soft or gullible or too woo hooey or touchy feely or or whatever is uh, no you're you're just scared you yeah. you're perceiving yeah. this as a vulnerability and oh you you feel like you can't help everybody i don't think it's that hard i don't think we're that far off from it we we spend we we just have it we have it to spend america spends more on fad diets each year than it would take to feed every starving person right. in the world right. it's just not that difficult we can make yeah. it work
2: yeah but can we emotionally grow in, in an emotional, spiritual way that permits these new solutions to emerge? Right. that That's our challenge. And I think that um, certainly the potential is there. Certainly we can do it. And sometimes, um, you know, in pretty deep states, I feel like, um, you know, it's all evolving in its own time. Um, but it's... Um, it could either go, it could go either way. It's really a, both, a, it, it's our challenge and our opportunity to be courageous, to explore. And, and we need to, um, not to talk so bad about Trump and those people that are so motivated by fears and anxieties. Is We have to understand what are those fears and anxieties and how do we address them and how do we help people emerge from these fundamentalist states or these fear states a lot of it is produced by people who, um, through our economic systems, are struggling. And then when you're struggling, you don't have the luxury of thinking.
0: You're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, just yeah. trying to make ends meet. And, yeah. and life can be hard and scary. And and But yeah. I think this fear really makes it so that people are missing a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Because they're not getting out there and having new experiences.
2: Yeah, I, I think the way in which we're, what I really liked about your show, though, too, is that you do talk about the challenges of psychedelic experiences and the problems and the delusions you can get into. And mm-hmm. and I think that that's, that's the kind of balance so that we need, really, to move forward, is that um, we need to acknowledge the fears and anxieties as well as the hopes and dreams. And we also need to acknowledge that it's fundamentally... Not about the psychedelics. It's about the context that we create. And that's the fundamental problem of the drug war, is that we've demonized certain things, like these are good drugs, these are bad drugs, and we've lost the fact that it's the relationship that is what matters. It's not the thing itself. And so I think with the drug war that criminalizes certain things... Um, and has done so for political ends. And you know, one of, a lot of the work that we're doing now is trying to overcome the idea of the counterculture, to try to build bridges. And one of the most important bridges is with the military, with the veterans, with PTSD, with the part of our society that is honored and appreciated. Um, and if we can show that people who have been traumatized in the military um, can be healed, not that. Uh, You know, we've been criticized, too, by are you helping make the war machine run smoother? And that these people are traumatized for a good reason. A lot of times what they've done and seen is inhumane and should never have happened. Yeah, that's a lot of victim blaming. Yeah, because what we're doing is we're not helping people to say, oh, yeah, whatever I did, now I feel fine about it. It's not that. It's now I can live with what I've done and I can try to... In small ways every day, do something kind or do something nice. And
0: realize that I was 17 years old when I joined up for this thing and had no idea what the reality of it was going to be. And I
2: was told all these things that were later, you know, I later came to see in a different light. Right. So I think building these bridges, getting over the counterculture, integrating psychedelics and the states of mind that they uh, can generate um, is a key barometer for whether we as a human species will be able to survive into the. 22nd century
0: well that's wonderful thank you for (laughs) being a brave ambitious intelligent interesting man and thank you for uh becoming uh uh, thanks for coming out to my show thanks uh, thanks for supporting my tour (laughs) uh of course and um i look forward to let's let's have you you on again as soon as possible a
2: a lot for me too because you know how they say you're never a hero in your own home (laughs) so my uh 17 year old daughter uh you know, she thinks I'm cool now because uh, she heard you talk about me during one of your uh, uh, yeah, podcasts. Holmes,
0: you made it weird. Yeah, yeah. So you've
2: helped me. Uh, you've elevated my status in my daughter's eyes. <laughs> That's
0: wonderful. Anything I can do to help. Well, thank you, Rick, for joining me. And thank you, listeners, for being such curious, inquisitive, wonderful people. Make sure and go to maps.org to learn more. See what you can do to donate your time or money or get involved or learn more or just to educate others in your community and social circles. I uh, will talk with you next week. Everybody, please check out Who? It's just me and Ramin. You understand that? Do You know how much work this podcast is? I have to guess you how long that takes to get guests... I have to study I'm on an eighty city tour. I drive to a new city every day and do a show or two and hang out with people afterwards and then I have to try to find time to research this. I'm working the hardest right now, guys. And I'm partying a little bit too, which I don't have any time for. Um, and and Ramin is the only help that I have. And he is doing everything. He's doing the website. He's doing all the audio stuff, and which we've made incredible improvements on since Ramin took over um, around episode twenty or so with the podcast. Um, and I—I um, I, I mean, he just makes amazing work too. So. Um, You should just go and check out uh, some of his comic books and games and apps and stuff that you can get. And also, um, I wanted to give you some updates. So, one, we changed the logo of the podcast. Um, I've been playing around. If you follow me on Facebook, on my Facebook fan page, when I announce things, once in a while I use this I um and the eye is actually something that I came up with during a DMT trip or after, right after a DMT trip, actually. And um, it's so and and then I had uh, this wonderful artist Topher Sipes, who is a um, a visionary artist. Um, he so so my idea was to have a eye that had a globe for the iris and then a black hole for the pupil. And then there's like kind of like a heaven white for the whites of the eyes, which is like kind of like a, um, what, what it looks like in DMT the way they describe like a bright white light. And, um, and then the lashes are meant to be the Northern lights and it's, uh, and then it's kind of set in space against space as stars in the background. And so Topher executed that to perfection. And so, um, gotten some good feedback from that. I think it's beautiful. And, um, it was my, my face was, was the, uh, logo for the podcast for a long time. But this is about us. Here we are. And so I thought having, having a globe, um, in the middle to represent that would be more suited um i'm halfway through my 80s city tour guys um it has been going really well i've sold out like half the shows i have packed most of the others we've had a couple misses here and there is all and even those it's just like they were for the most part really good crowds um you know sorry shreveport louisiana uh <laughs> But uh, you suck. Uh, other than that, they've been they've been really amazing. Um, but so, I coming up. Let me just go through the list of dates. And uh, you know, since I since I gave a long winded thing, I'm I'm in the middle of putting together a bunch of projects right now. And maybe I just I'm very excited. Maybe I should just wait um, and not announce things just yet. Just because um, nothing's confirmed um, and I'm just trying to figure out some stuff with uh, doing the podcast live more often and extending my tour and working on a few other things. So I'll I'll be talking more about that in coming weeks. Why don't I just go through the dates? Guys, if you have any, even if you've never done a psychedelic before, have no interest in psychedelics um, and are still Listening after that interview. Um, one, you're my favorite for listening to the end. And two, uh, you'll like my show. You know, psychedelic experience is required. It's, it's a very thought provoking show with interesting ideas. At least I think so. Um, so here we go. Coming up right after Thanksgiving on the Fr- Black Friday, Bend, Oregon, Salem, Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, Klamath, nope, Klamath Falls just canceled, that guy's stupid, Um Arcata, California, Sacramento, California, San Francisco, Santa Cruz, uh, Las Vegas, Salt Lake City, Boulder, Denver, Wichita, Kansas City, Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, Asheville, Lexington, Cincinnati, Evansville, Indianapolis, Iowa City, Milwaukee, Christmas break, then in January, Sioux Falls, Omaha, Des Moines, Appleton, Eau Claire, Winona, Royal Oak, Grand Rapids, South Bend, Kalamazoo. Los Angeles is the biggest one on the tour. Guys, um, if you're anywhere in Los Angeles, please, February 1st, I'm doing the famous Largo Theater. It's the only theater. Um, or, well, I, I guess there's a couple other like small theaters, but this is, uh, this is a big deal. This is a really what, well respected, um, enormous acts play there, um, historic theater. So please, February 1st, check that out. And then I'm adding, um, Florida dates. So I just booked Key West. I wanted to lock that up first. Um, was planning on ending the tour in in Key West and and taking some time off. I might end up adding some more dates around um, some other places. We'll see. Um, But I'll be adding a bunch more Florida stuff for early February coming up. I just haven't had time to reach out to people, but I will very soon. And so if you know anyone in any of those cities – Please, please, please spread the word for me. This is a nonprofit podcast and how this is paid for, how I'm able to turn down what is looking to be like a thousand dollars a week is uh, at least minimum. Um, and I'm sponsors are emailing me every day now, which is annoying when i'm in a car with almost 200,000 miles on it um <laughs> to to turn down but um i i i really really believe in and in just inspiring people uh to do good and um and make the world a better place so please do that it's not that hard all of us can just chip in a little bit um but to subsidize this podcast I have to make a living as a stand-up comedian which is very very difficult to do. And so if you heard if if you know anyone in any of those cities please spread the word for me. Um, it would mean so much and those of you that listened to that and again you are my favorite. So thank you and I'll talk with you next week.
1: Happening discotech. Remember when we called clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. Oh, the 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd mm. bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban. And all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans. And pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air. And Poppy wants a whiff.
2: <laughs> 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 oh my god. <laughs>
1: Scarface, 22 to 45.
0: (laughs) Like he's a television audience demographic?
1: (laughs) Devilishly handsome, not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. (laughs) walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV cribs with the ying yang twins. <laughs> one day. Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced ve a in Spanish, oh my <laughs> he spots his dear friend, who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. Scarface yells out his signature line. <laughs> Ciao, Bella. It's me, Scarface. <laughs>